Hi everyone, welcome to HubShot's episode 168. We're going to talk about attribution and prospecting. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot-focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, strategies for growing your sales and marketing results. My name is Ian Jake from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Belly from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Yeah, well, good, and well, happy Thursday. Because yes. you know what, I, I thought it was Friday today. Listeners, we're recording this on um, Thursday, the first of August. Oh, happy new month, by the way. I felt like today was a Friday. Anyway, I was in client meetings this morning, and I was oh, anyway happy Friday, and no one batted an eyelid. Wasn't until the afternoon, someone said it's Thursday. I'm like, what? No, that's where your attribution went wrong, Craig. That's right. (laughs) Anyway, talking about, you had a client that was talking about attributing activities of sales team to a conversion of a customer, right? It was really interesting, the kind of level of questions they were asking you. So, we wanted to address this in the show. So, let's start by actually understanding what is attribution, right? Yeah, well, that's right. And attribution is a big topic. And as I've found out speaking with various clients over time, as you do, they've all got a different understanding about what attribution is. And so attribution at its simplest is just about attributing, hence the name, a value to a lead in terms of where they came from. That could be the source, could be location, could be anything, but attributing it to it. And where it gets complex is when you've got multiple touches with a person and attributing parts to each of those touches. That's right. And not only that, in your scenario, it's actually attributing multiple touch points with different people in a business to that one or possibly multiple contacts that work in that business. Well, that's right. And you're getting to quite a complex case, which we'll go through in a second. This was actually a conversation having yesterday with a client because they've got very detailed and complex attribution requirements or attribution reporting and modeling requirements. But let's go back to a very simple, well, at its simplest. Let's look at it at its simplest. So, what could be like the simplest version of attribution? Did Google Ads drive any leads? Right. That's probably one of the simplest. A slightly more, not complex, but uh, more involved might be, did Google, along with other channels, drive leads? What part did Google play when they had multiple touches to become a lead? And, you know, actually thinking through attribution. This is what I found with some people. They just look at the timeline of a contact and they think, oh, that's the attribution report. And in a way it is. I I hadn't have thought of attribution reports as looking at the timeline. But when you talk to people, they say, oh, we want to be able to see at a contact that they did this and then they came from here and then they went to there and then they got – and they actually consider the timeline an attribution report. Now, I'm not, not going to disagree with that, but it's probably not what most people would think of. But then it can get very complex. And this is what you were alluding to earlier. That's right. So, let's, let's look at a complex one. Which channel requires the least sales touches to close a big client? And the reason this is getting complex is because you're not only mixing marketing channels, you're mixing sales activities. That's right. And you could be mixing offline channels as well. Well, you could be. That's exactly right, which makes it even more complex. In my client's case, they're actually wanting to know the size of teams that need to get involved, talking with big accounts that they're chasing. So, they do big deals. This is multi-million dollar deals. So, they have multiple people on their sales team talking to multiple contacts in these companies. And they want to know how to attribute that along with marketing channels to give an overall score of what's working, which parts of marketing should be credited and what sizes of teams should be credited. Not only that size of the team, but the time to sale. So, closure rate and time to close. 
All right, on to our shot two, which is the HubSpot marketing feature of the week, Craig. And we talk about attribution reports. Well, that's right. I thought I'd look at this, speaking of attribution, actually just remind us about what's available in HubSpot. And we've covered this recently, actually, in some of our reporting episodes. But yeah, we have simple and slightly more complex, but not fully complex. That's right. So at its simplest, I think the sources report gives you a good insight into which channels are driving traffic and leads to your site. So I would definitely have a look at that. For many people, the sources report is just a great insight into what is, well, especially driving traffic, but also leads, but it's based on first touch attribution. And by that we mean the first well, touch or impact that they had in terms of coming to the site. Now, where the attribution reports in HubSpot provide greater clarity is they not only incorporate first touch, but they might say last touch or all touches because there can be multiple touches along the way. So if you're advertising on Facebook and LinkedIn and Google and Pinterest and Instagram and all these things, as well as doing other activities, there's multiple touches before someone might become a lead. And so the attribution reports, and we've got a bit of a screenshot in the show notes, can actually incorporate that. And so you get a different view compared to just the sources report. That's right. And in HubSpot, there are kind of key metrics in attribution reports. One of them is contacts assisted. So that's where the number of contacts that viewed your website through a particular touch point before converting. So this could include all interactions first and last or a simple decay attribution. The next one is the percentage of contacts. And this is where the percentage of total contacts assisted by the attribution object in your report. Again, this is depending on what you choose. And like I said before, could be first and last simple decay or other attribution methods. And contacts can be assisted by multiple touch points. As a result, you get together the values, which gives you the percentage of contacts. And it does say the percentage of contacts column may exceed 100%. Always reassuring. That's right. (laughs) And the last one is a score out of 100. And this is calculated out of 100 points. And they're evenly distributed across all contacts assisted by the objects in your report. And this can be by one or more objects. I'm sorry, you're really confused now. Well, I would need to read that. I, I guess I'm more of a um, visual, visual learner. So when I hear that, I'm like, wow, what does That's that right. mean? That's right. And and this is the thing. So I would encourage you, I'll put a link to some of the stuff. There's a really good lesson on the Academy about this. I'd encourage people to go and actually do that lesson because it'll give you a really good idea. And it's a great refresh even for us to get our heads around stuff because we can often forget or not really understand what's going on. Well, and it's always changing as well. So That's it's, very true. It's, and, and the way that people use it is changing. So it's always good to be refreshing our memories on that. Um, but those points that you just uh, mentioned before, we've got them all in the show notes. So if you want to review those there, they're right there for you. All right, Craig, on to our HubSpot sales feature of the week. This week, it's the prospects tool again. Yeah, we've, how many times have we mentioned this on the show? Quite a few. It's really good, isn't it? Yes. And why I want to highlight it is because this is great for salespeople. And we've used it a lot with sales teams that are looking after accounts in particular states. And we're able to, in the prospects tool, actually filter out state by state people that they're looking are looking on the site that are captured in the prospects tool and then assign them to the appropriate contact in that state to keep an eye on it. Yeah, it's really good. We've got an example in the show notes. This is actually from one of our clients. There were particular government departments that they were targeting. We were looking at the prospects tool 
you can see them uh, reflected. Oh, yeah, they are visiting the site. So they might not be a prospect or uh, they might not be a lead or a customer yet, but we can see anonymously that they're there. So that marketing is working in terms of driving traffic, and then it's really about converting them into leads. All right, Craig. We call this the HubSpot Gotcha of the Week, but really I'm going to call this the HubSpot Praise Report of the Week. I think so. Again, what can we say? HubSpot support. I continue to be impressed by HubSpot support. I know I sound like a broken record saying this every show, but it really is top notch. And you've had a good experience as well this week. That's right. And I always talk to lots of people from Singapore and I just want to give a shout out to Jocelyn. She was fantastic. All right, Craig, on to our marketing tip of the week. And this is about better forms. Oh, so this is such a, a welcome form or landing page experience that I had. Of course, It's refreshing, sh- isn't it? It is. I, I had a screenshot here of uh, there's a form in the field and the field is called, how can we serve you best? Select the option. And then there's a drop down and there's various options. One, I'm only, this is a uh, landing page for a white paper or a marketing report from Merkel, by the way. And, uh, you know, big, big uh, shout out to Merkel. They've done a great job with this page. And one of the, the first option was, I'm only interested in this resource at the moment, i.e. don't follow me up, don't hassle me. And some of the other options were, I'm ready to talk to someone. So this whole idea, it's such a difference from, you know, I was telling you about Salesforce, how I've, I had exactly the same experience. I downloaded a sales report and then I got handed to death every day. I was getting called by them, emailed, etc. I just downloaded a white paper. I'm not at all interested <laughs> in your product or well, certainly not yet, right? They handed me, anyway, here is a much better experience. Like, how can we serve you best? I just want the report. And if I'm ready for a follow-up, I'll let you know. Exactly. All I'm expecting from them, and we've got this in the show notes. You can see screenshots I've taken of it. All I'm expecting is probably a follow-up, maybe a monthly email or a quarterly email. And it will, because there are other questions on the form, it will probably tailor the content based on my preferences. I just thought it was such a, such a good experience. So, folks, a reminder that we can do this as well. So, do, we can do, do that. this better, can't we, Craig? Better forms. We can do this better. Inside of the week, Craig? You know how um, people have been using AI to create content? And it's like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, what have they done here? They've, they've created another tool that spots content that's created by AI. The AI is picking its own content. Yeah, using AI to find content created by AI. I think it's just funny. <laughs> and that was on the technologyreview.com, which is a Harvard technology review site. Yeah, really interesting article too. And it actually goes into details about how they do it. They color code and they can see what it works on. Did you read the article on this? It's quite interesting, the probabilities that they use. Yes. So, they use probabilities of a word being followed by another word in typical human usage compared to generated usage. And that's how they work it out. And they've got color coding about how likely it is that it's AI driven. Fascinating. All right, Craig, on to our resource of the week. And this is how Google keeps search relevant and useful. And this is on their blog. When you come to Google search, their goal is actually to connect you with the most useful information as quickly as possible. Preferably if you pay for it. No. <laughs> Correct. That information can take many forms. And over the years, the search results page has evolved to include not only a list of blue links, to pages across the web, but also useful features to help you find what you're looking for faster. Now, this is from that article, but I mean, I want to highlight this because like I always tell people, Google's goal 
is to give you what you're looking for before you even ask for it. Right? That's the ultimate, right? Well, their goal is to give you a good experience if it makes them a lot of money as well. Well, actually, that is the goal. So, to give you a great experience that makes them money, that would be Correct. their goal. So, anyway, it was a really good post. It was by... Oh, Danny Sullivan. That's Search right. Liaison. Yeah, who used to run Search Engine Land and he's now working for Google and doing a good job as well. I like how he interacts with people on Twitter and, yeah. Understanding how search has evolved and how it's changed. Like, we know for a fact that if we are searching for certain things, like when I'm sitting with customers and we'll say, oh, let's search for this. Oh, I need to be found for blah. And then they're like, oh, yeah, let me just search that. And then you go, oh, hang on. I just got a totally different result to you. And we're sitting right next to each other. What's going on? But this is about understanding intent and a whole bunch of other things in the search results. You look at how maps has played a big part in search results now. In uh, Google My Business, the featured snippet, for example. The knowledge graph is another one. Yes. So there's so many things that now come into play. Even our products, for example, of having a massive impact could be images if it's more image related. But it's understanding all of these things that are actually impacting Well, search. another one they've got is that people also ask, right? Which yes. is, it's a feedback kind of like people search for this. And in fact, then they also ask. So it's like a feedback loop that you might want to be part of as well. That's right. And even the predictive uh, input is another thing. Well, we know how it does. The autocomplete. The autocomplete yeah. is another thing that's actually driving a lot of search results. Mm. So it's really interesting to see. But I think as people in sales and marketing... We need to understand this and think about people's behavior because I often, when I'm talking to people, I actually say people are inherently lazy, right? If you can watch something, why read it? And if you can touch your screen less or, you know, do less typing, that's exactly what you're going to do. As long as you can get what you want, you're going to take the shortest route there. I think that's right. And, you know, it's always useful to pull up a search result on your phone or on desktop for the particular one. Because let's say someone says, I want to rank number one for this online shopping query, let's say. And you pull it up on your phone and show them, well, actually the first results are shopping results and you've got to scroll, scroll, scroll before you actually get to a Google result. So you might actually be officially ranking number one for it, but it's three scrolls down, so it's not going to drive you any traffic. Just showing people that, say on their phone and then on desktop, and then showing them another query, which might be more of an answer-based one or a question-based, question which gets an answer, and they're like, oh, so there's no shopping ones here. There's actually an answer box. And in fact, we could own that answer box at the top. So that's a much better term to try and rank for. So this all comes into SEO when they're saying, oh, we want to just rank for something. It's like, well, let's actually look at how Google's changed and evolved and see whether we think it's even likely that that would drive meaningful traffic. All right, Craig. Now on to our quote of the week. This is from one of the speakers at Inbound this year. That's right. Her name is Rachel Botsman. She's written a few books. And one of the books, one of the latest books she's written, or one of the last books she's written is, is called Who Can You Trust? And this is a quote from that book. So it says, A trust leap is when we take a risk to do something new or to do something different from the way that we've done something before. You know what? I was reading this article the other day on courage in marketing. It was analysis of 6,000 submissions to some marketing awards over the years. It was compiled over years. They analyzed it and they found as part of the criteria just of analyzing it, they looked at the campaigns that took risks and they called it courage. 
yep. courage in the marketing because they took risks that possibly get them fired and things like that have failed. What they found, they ranked it from one to five. And so for each of them, they found if people took no risks, they generally did okay. Two and three, they kind of were, you know, a bit less. If they took a risk about four, they actually didn't do very well. It worked against them. But then if they took a really big risk, five, often it was the most successful campaign and won the most whatever uh, return or results on what they're after. And so what they were saying from it was this idea of taking risks and being courageous in your marketing when done all in, in a way, rather than just half-hearted. So not just, oh, we'll just do a stunt, but actually go all in and make a statement that had the best return. So really interesting in light of this quote that you've chosen about having a trust leap. It's not just about, oh, doing it slightly different. It's about actually making a big stand and going for it. Exactly. It's about making a difference, isn't it? All right, and we have one bonus link of the week, Craig, and this is actually HubSpot's new state of customer service in 2019 research report. And there's a link to that. You'll have to put your details in to get it, but... What's their form look like? I'll have to check out the form. Well, it's a pretty simple, actually. When I filled out, it was my name, email. Actually, I think it was for me as well, yeah. Very simple form. The progressive profile. Progressive form fields. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, HubSpot. They know us already. Anyway, if you love this show, we'd love you to leave a review on... Apple Podcasts, anywhere where you listen to this podcast, it would greatly help us. And we'd love you to take a picture of whatever you've learned or whatever you've implemented, actually, and share it with us on- Yeah, show us something you've implemented. We'd love that. And um, by the way, when you send it to us, can you let us know whether we can share it and mention you publicly? By default, we don't. We take messages to us as private and we, we love them, by the way. Thank you. But if you're happy for us to share- publicly we'd love to do that as well well craig until next time catch you later ian thank you for listening to this episode of hubshots for show notes resources hubspot news including practical strategies you can implement visit us at hubshots.com